Because as long as cortisol is mismanaged, as long as we are spiking cortisol, we are tanking insulin and we are tanking our sex hormones. It doesn't matter if you go on the greatest antidepressant, it doesn't matter if you go on HRT or bioidenticals, you still have to get cortisol in check. And, and I think as a society, we honestly don't allow women permission to do that. So I am here, and I know you would agree with this, to give women the permission back to say no. And after 40, you biologically need to make you first. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations hey, hey, that Welcome back to I better think I've always Dr. wanted Stephanie. to be a part of, it's me, your host, and Dr. I Stephanie wanted to be happy. So let's this get week, better I am bringing together. you a conversation around fasting, the ketogenic diet, all for women, women in perimenopause, menopause with Dr. Mindy Pels. Dr. Mindy is a chiropractor. She is a practicing doc in the Bay Area, and she is also the host of the Resetter podcast. She has her Reset Academy and a YouTube channel that garners half a million people to her channel. Now, Dr. Mindy and I had a very robust conversation around the changes that happen in perimenopause. We talk about progesterone. We talk about a woman's menstrual cycle. We talk about the erratic cycling and the changes that can happen from a hormonal and physiological perspective. We touch on the ketogenic diet. Uh, spoiler, both big fans for women in perimenopause and menopause. And then we dive into her passion around fasting for women. Dr. Mindy and I might as well be cut from the same cloth because we have very similar opinions on how fasting should be applied to a perimenopausal and menopausal women. And we talk about all of the ways that you can modify it, all of the ways that you can attune to whether your cycle is regular, whether it's erratic, and even if you don't have a cycle anymore. And then finally, we touch on the, we were talking about her book, The Menopause Reset, and talking about some other strategies that we can think about in terms of augmenting our health. So we touch on red light therapy, we talk about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, sauna use, the gamut. You are going to love this conversation with Dr. Mindy. Uh, there's a lot of love and respect uh, that I have for her, and I think that you'll find that there is really great synergy in our energy. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms, and here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, 
you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water, and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. All right. Welcome back to Better, everyone. I am so tickled this week because I am welcoming. We were just gabbing on and I was like, we should probably start the podcast. We've just been chatting forever. <laughs> I am welcoming Dr. Mindy Pels to the pod. Welcome, Mindy. So happy oh, thank you. Here. Thanks for happening. You know, I've, you've been on my schedule, I think, for like six weeks and I saw it go on there and I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to have this conversation. Yes, yes. And I was on your uh, podcast. I had such a blast and I was like, you know what? You need to come um, onto mine. We are sisters from another mister. We have yes. very similar cut from the same cloth, same philosophy around health and healing. And you are going to be, I just know my Bettys are going to love you. So awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So I always, when I have a, a new guest on the show, I always love to learn a little bit about your origin story. And this is my little superhero theme, uh, because I believe every, everyone who comes on the show, there's a story to be told. Um, mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about your background. I know you are a fellow chiropractor and yep. how you came into this, like you're very well known for fasting, very well known for your care and protocols and work around menopause. So yep. tell me a little bit about your history and how you came into the work that you're doing now. Yeah. You know, it's like many of us, what we set out to do isn't what we end up doing. Right. So it's like, you have an intention, you're going to do something. And then life sort of keeps, keeps throwing you different curveballs, And then the next thing, you know, you're in this beautiful place. You never realized you would be. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm trained as a chiropractor and I've been in practice for 25 years, uh, for the first 10 years of my practice, we pretty much adjusted people and they got well. And it was miraculous, but we know the body has an incredible healing capability. And so we weren't surprised. And then about 10 years in, people stopped healing as, a, as uh, quickly and people started coming in with more symptoms. It wasn't like they showed up with one symptom, they showed up with five. And before I knew it, they showed up with 10. And so I started adding in some different things. Like about that time, wheat belly was becoming quite popular, grain brain. Um, I at 20 had a chronic fatigue uh, scenario where I got off of all grains and I, I pretty much got on the keto diet and healed myself. So I started experimenting with nutrition and I started putting my patients on, it started with no wheat and then it morphed into no sugar and no dairy. And I started seeing people heal quicker than I could have ever gotten before. And I was like, this is crazy. Like if I combined chiropractic with nutritional changes, like all the problems went away and that worked for about five more years. And then I started seeing that I got stuck again. And this is when I dove into understanding chemicals, glyphosate, pesticides, heavy metals, um, and really understanding that our world has been, um, you know, 
pour there's like thousands of chemicals have been poured into our diet, into our foods, into our air, into our soils, on our, our, our clothing. I mean, everywhere. And so I started detoxing people and then realizing, oh my gosh, if I change their food, I detox them and I adjust them. Now we got a really cool combo going. And so I did that for many years until I found fasting. And what I love about fasting is it's very much in alignment with, with chiropractic. The body is born a self-healing machine. Now we have never been taught that. And all you, the job, our job to tap into this self-healing, and I know you know this, self-healing capability is we have to remove the interference, whether it's a physical interference, a chemical interference, or an emotional interference. And what I found was the greatest interference we could remove was food, all food. And that when you did that, the body tapped into a healing state. And once I added fasting into my protocols, people healed so fast and like crazy things healed. People dropped weight. People got off medications. Diabetes was reversed. Uh, hormonal changes happened. Like it was like something I had never seen. And I was pretty much addicted from that, from that point forward. And I was like, I picked up my phone and I'm like, I have to teach the world fasting. And I started teaching it on YouTube. And one day, one of those videos took off and I went from like 3000 subscribers, just educating a small amount of people to 30,000 people in a month. And I just kept doing videos and it's grown to 270,000 subscribers now. And people are dying for this tool. So it, I just sort of followed what the human body needed and found new ways to help people that didn't cost money, didn't take time, didn't require another medication. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up here. I, I find it so um, inspiring because one of the fundamental tenets of chiropractic philosophy is to remove interference. So my Bettys who are listening, um, one of the one of the things that we're taught as chiropractic, we are the original health nuts. Like that used to be a derogatory. Yes, we are. Ter- that is the, uh, used to be a derogatory term that we were called. Like oh, those stupid docs, those chiropractors teaching their patients about nutrition. Ha 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 ha. That was idiots, right? Like that that, that used to be us. But one of the fundamental philosophical tenets of chiropractic is when you remove the interference, the body has this self-healing, self-regulating ability to heal. And we define those interferences, as you just so eloquently said, in the physical vertical. So that could be, you know, joints that are not moving the way that they should, a destruction of spinal curves, flexibility, pliability, proprioception, blah, blah, blah. It can be done in the chemical realm, as you just mentioned, right? So chemicals that are poisoning our, our children and our, you know, adults, men and women, and it can also be emotional stressors. So unprocessed trauma from, you know, childhood or, you know, being a young adult, all of these things live in the nervous system and you have to clear them. So one of the, one of the, and I agree with you in terms of, in many ways, fasting is just an extension of, and it falls under the scope of chiropractic practice because what we're doing is you're removing interference in that, in that chemical realm, right? It's like, we're going to just take out food for a little bit and we're going to just allow your body to do its thing, which is, which is brilliant. Yeah. 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 And if you think about, I mean, we could geek out on looking at the different philosophies of different styles of medicine, but the conventional allopathic way that we've approached health is you have a symptom. Let me put something from the outside in to fix that, that symptom. 
And that has only led to more drugs and more surgeries. And there's some benefit, you know, emergency medicine's incredible. And there are some medications that are incredible, but it's still outside in. I think when you look at like naturopathic medicine, what their tenant is, is change the terrain on the inside of the body and then how the body performs will change. What I love about what chiropractic taught me is it's all based off of interference. If a person isn't healing, figure out the interference. And when you figure that out, it will heal. And I think that's what people are discovering with fasting. Yeah. It's like a top down inside out model, right? We start from the brain and then we sink into the body and then it's health, the salutogenic model of health promotion rather than, you know, we had Dr. Kelly Brogan um, on the show last year and she made, and I've heard other people make this joke before, but she said, you know, depression isn't like a lack of Prozac in the body. It's not a Prozac deficiency. (laughs) It's, you know, there's something going on that's creating this chemical cascade of, you know, whatever's happening. So, all right. So let's, let's talk a little bit uh, and I'll actually just, uh, Um, one more just clinical pearl from my, when I was in physical practice as a chiropractor, I no longer have a brick and mortar practice. My, uh, my work now is online. Very, uh, very similar to yours. Um, one of the things that I noticed, and this really pushed me into writing the book, writing my book and, you know, working in the, in, in alignment with you is that I would also notice I had to change therapy for my women. So the women who I developed rapport with, they'd been working with me for when it was months or years, when we got to know her menstrual cycle, I would change the type of adjustment I would give her. Like right before her period, we'd have lighter adjustments. Maybe I'd use the activator, which is another tool. Um, I would give her lighter rehab and exercise. So it would be like, your job this week is to walk. Like uh, you don't need to lift weights. Like I need you to walk 10,000 steps this week. And then I would also do the same thing, like her period, like her bleed week, I would get, we would work on pliability or proprioception or balance. Like, so I would, I was already naturally kind of cycling therapy. Mm-hmm for my women, because I would notice that if I just applied, you know, I practice many t- techniques, Gonstead and Thompson and everything for my Cairo nerds that are listening. Those are different yeah. techniques. <laughs> um, but I would notice that I needed to alter them, uh, for my women. Cause my men, I could do the same thing and it would, I would reap amazing results, but my women, I had to start tweaking a little bit. So just yeah. a, just a little it's, clinical pearl it, for my clinicians that are listening. And yeah. the other thing that I think isn't discussed in chiropractic enough is the menopausal woman as collagen goes down, those injuries stick around. And that's the one thing that I noticed in the last like couple of years is that people just like for you give me a 49 year old woman with a chronic injury because she's been running too much or exercising too much. And I'm going to show you a woman that's going to heal very, very, very slow. Whereas that same woman at 39 will heal much differently. So it's really interesting and not enough people are talking about this. Yes. Yes. Maybe that's in our, in our act three is coming back (laughs) to chiropractic and teaching them how to care for, you know, women and some of the nuances that happen there. Yes. Um, All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about your book, uh, the menopause reset. And I wanted to start our conversation. This is a great book. It's and I will say that it is chock full of information and it's done in a way that is easy to digest. And this is really, you know, when you, you are a woman, we were talking about this in the pre-chat, you are a woman on a mission. And I think a lot of people can get bogged down with terminology. I struggle with this too. Like I, you know, you learn the term, you know, let's say you learn autophagy, which we're going to talk about today. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's a great word. And I learned what it means. And then you just use it naturally, but maybe somebody who doesn't have that training doesn't understand what you're talking about. So this book is written in a way that 
it's accessible to everybody. Everybody can get value from this book. So I, you know, this is a great book for anybody to pick up, whether you're menopausal or not, this is something that you can start thinking about in your thirties and forties. And I think you should be. And one of the things that you talk about in the menopause reset is the change in hormones, like that perimenopausal, Mm -hmm. you know, glide or slide, if you will, into menopause. And I wanted to maybe start by describing some of the hormonal, the compositional changes um, that happen in women in her perimenopausal years so that she's not surprised, right? So if she starts to see, you know, changes in her cycle, maybe it's erratic, and I I know you'll go into some of the details, Um, but talk to us a little bit about from a hormonal perspective, what is happening in perimenopause? And then the second sort of follow on to that will be, and what can we expect in menopause? What does that look like? Yeah, that's where everybody needs to grab a glass of wine right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and get ready. Yeah, um, Tuck in, sit down, get some yeah, nice t- blanket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe a green juice would probably be better. Um, so I think the biggest thing that sideswiped me in menopause and the message that I really want to get out to women is that at 40, your ovaries are going to make a slow decline. And the way I look at it is like, they're like, I'm out, like I've done my job and I'm just going to slowly back away. I'm going to give you about 10 or 15 years where I wind down. We have a few more eggs in here, but these sex hormones I've been making for you, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, I'm going to hand that over to another organ and that organ's going to pick up the slack. And the organ it hands over, as you know, is to the adrenal glands. And for me at 40, my adrenals were not ready for this handoff. And so by 43, I wasn't sleeping. I had hot flashes. I was neurotic in my head. Like it was not a good scenario. And what I think most women that are not aware of is this change. And what I found when I went searching for answers is what I think a lot of women are finding, which is they're told, "Ah, buck up, it's menopause. Like, get ready. This is just going to be crazy. That's what my friends told me. Um, You're depressed. You should get on SSRIs. You're, you know, you've got hot flashes. You should get on HRT. And we're given, again, an outside-in approach. Or the pill. That's the other one people are offered. They're offered the pill. Oh, they go on the pill? Yeah. I've had a lot of women, they're 48, and they have, you know, acne and, like, their erratic cycles. Like, why don't you take the birth control pill? It's like At 48? And 48, you know, these in in your 40s. Like, What? No. no, I mean, no. The, the greatest gift I have, and I tell the story in the menopause reset is that um, I had a friend, my kids were in elementary school at the time. And I had a friend who was an OB and I asked her, I was like, at that point, I was in such a- emotional distress that I was like, can you help me? And she pretty much turned to me and said, Mindy, my medical textbooks have failed me. I have a practice full of women like this, and I have no idea how to help them. What are you doing for them? And that's when I realized there should be, there's probably an environmental impact. And when we look at the environmental impact, and we can go into this as much detail as you want, it's everything from toxicity to the stress women are under, to poor diet, to eating all day, like the the lifestyle that we did at 20 to fit into our skinny jeans destroys our hormones at 45. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, the message I feel like women need to hear that 40, somebody needs to, every 40 year old at their birthday needs a little tap on the shoulder and needs to be told 
things are going to change now. So why don't we set you up so you can change your lifestyle to so you can ride this as smoothly as possible. Amazing. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about some of the, I mean, I wanted to, uh, I want to talk about stress. I think that what I see in the population, like the yeah. Bettys that I see is that they're taking care of aging parents, you know, their children, you know, now they, you know, maybe not so much in the last year with things being closed down and, and whatnot, but typically they have, well, they have to make sure that they get to their zoom calls, you know, their online classes, if, you know, places are closed or they have soccer, you know, as things are opening up now. Um, and so they, they're balancing a, and then they have to be, and then they have to look a certain way and then they have to be a sex pod in the evening for their husband and they have to be smiling right. and they have to be the, they have to do all the things. Um, yep. and it leaves them just utterly bagged and yep. exhausted and, you know, just flustered and resentful. And, you know, you mentioned handing this off, you know, handing off the job of the ovaries to produce primarily your sex, like the steroidogenesis of your sex hormones over to your adrenals. But if your adrenals are already flatlined, if you already have this HPA axis uh, and when I say that, Betty's, I mean a uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So your sympathetics, your stress response, if that stress response has been dinged over and over hundreds of times a day with the, the bad text and the anticipatory stress for tomorrow and, you know, ruminating on the stress of today, like your adrenals are going to say, no, no, yep. no, I'm not doing this. Like, forget it. This too much. Yep. I need a pay raise and you, there's nothing you can pay me, you know, that's going to, that's going to make me take on this HPA axis dinging as well as this uh, steroidogenesis, as you were mentioning. So, um, let's talk about, let's talk about stress. How does that impact a woman's menstrual cycle? And I, when I say uh, a woman's menstrual cycle, I'm including women in perimenopause and we can talk about erratic cycling and, and dysregulated cycling as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, stress is the one that even at 51, like I keep reminding myself because it's so easy to let stress get out of control. And I think what I was thinking as you were talking, I'm like, I think the forties for women needs to be known as the dead, as the decade we start saying no, because the more we as women tend to take on like, yes, I'll help the kids. Yes. I'll help my husband. Yes. I can, I can pick up an, uh, you know, t- take on PTA president and yes, I can pick up an extra, a couple extra jobs at work. And we just say yes to everything. And when we hit our forties, that's where it really tanks us. And what was helpful for me is to think of the hormones in a hierarchy. And I, I wrote about this in the book and the hierarchy looks like this. If you want to have an effect on your sex hormones, you're going to need to manage insulin. And this is why I love fasting. But if you're going to have an effect on insulin, you're going to need to get cortisol in balance. And if you get cortisol out of balance, insulin, you'll never get insulin sensitive and you'll never get those sex hormones in balance. And then the beautiful part about cortisol is it's highly influenced by oxytocin. So personally, I've used this to my advantage uh, with my teenage son. I always remind him that, especially during the pandemic, I would go and give him a hug and I'm like, sorry, I just, just hug me for a moment. I need a little oxytocin to calm my hormones down. But, it, but it's really true. Something as simple as hugging, something as simple as, um, the act of gratitude, the act of um, complimenting somebody like 
I started to look for things where I could petting my dog, like ways that I could get more oxytocin to bring cortisol down. Because as long as cortisol is mismanaged, as long as we are spiking cortisol, we are tanking insulin and we are tanking our sex hormones. It doesn't matter if you go on the greatest antidepressant, it doesn't matter if you go on HRT or bioidenticals, you still have to get cortisol in check. And, and I think as a society, we honestly don't allow women permission to do that. So I am here, and I know you would agree with this, to give women the permission back to say no. And after 40, you biologically need to make you first. Well, can I get an amen? And it's not a Sunday, you know, <laughs> going, yes. to Mindy, going to Mindy church today. I love this. <laughs> I, you know, I could not agree with you more, especially with the boundaries. I think that from a, you know, from a cultural perspective, a societal you know, the role of women, we are often lauded for these caregiver roles. She's a mother, you know, she, she's the PTA president. She's, you know, taking care of everybody, taking care of her mother, taking care of, you know, her aging, whoever family member. And while all those things, you know, if those are the things that bring you joy and pleasure, like I'm not saying to take I'm not trying to take those things away from you. Right. But what often happens is those things pre they come first on the list and you're not even, sometimes you're not even on the list. Sometimes you're not even at the bottom of it. You're not even there. You're like several pages in. And that's where I think the boundaries that you're like this, you know, we should almost say like, okay, you turn 40, you have to have a, we're going to say no party. Like yeah, you, you let's graduate, let's yeah. together. <laughs> you graduate from giving to others to giving yes. to yourself first. Um, because, and it's so hard for us. Like I've done inside my, uh, membership program, very similar to your resetters, I have a Hello Betty membership and we did, we've done boundary training and mm, there's cool. a lot of, there's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of just emotional, like what if, what if someone gets upset with me for saying no, you know, yeah. what if, what if, what if I get a, like a negative response from that? Like we're so conflict averse, I think. And I am this way too. I'm not saying like, Hey, I set boundaries all day long. Like I, I am a work in progress as well. Right. But I think, um, there's just a lot of psychological resistance to putting ourselves first because that's not applauded. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, for men, it's applauded. It's like, look at him, oh, breadwinner, so career. Look, That's so great. You know, his gray hairs make him look so wonderful. And then, you know, we have, you know, we're dying our hair and we're doing, you know, we're trying to get like, keep the grays at bay yep. and, you know, and we're, and we are taking care of people. That's, you know, that's our, you know, role that we're most applauded for. Yeah. If you think about it, like, you know, what would really help me and I reference in the book, and you really should interview this woman, Dr. Libby Weaver. And mm. she wrote a book called Rushing Woman Syndrome. And um, I have a friend, a dear friend that kept telling me, you should read the book, you should read the book. And I was like, yeah, I don't have time, which let's just. <laughs> let's oh, just the watch. irony. The irony was so big. And my dear friend was like, Mindy, I love you. And listen to yourself. So when I read it, Dr. Libby is a biochemist and she basically explains physiologically what's happening to our hormones when we rush. And so if you struggle to say no, what I want to encourage you to think about is as long as cortisol stays high, you're going to be more insulin resistant. It, and as you move through menopause, you're already going to be more insulin resistant. This is part of the process this is why women gain weight in menopause. 
But the problem with insulin resistance is it's at the root of every disease. So if you are looking for more diabetes, more cardiovascular problems, more autoimmune issues, I mean, you name it, insulin resistance is hanging out as a root cause. And then underneath insulin resistance is that if your cortisol stays high, you're not going to make enough of those sex hormones, specifically progesterone. Now, progesterone is what keeps estrogen in check. So if you're concerned about any kind of breast cancer or ovarian cancer, like at some point, I point this out to tell you that at some point, you're going to have to learn to say no. You're going to have to learn to say, I, I come first. And you get a choice. Do you do it now when you're healthy or do you wait until you get a diagnosis? Do you wait until you're, you are in such a horrible place that your marriage is falling apart? Like there are so many good reasons to say no. And if that holds you back because you don't want to let somebody down, really thinking about the hormonal consequence and future tripping. And I'm a positive thinker, but at some point we have to be realistic that we've got to learn the art of no. The art of no, that's so great. And then when we think about the effect that stress has, this persistent stress has, of course, on the menstrual cycle, we are down-regulating, as you mentioned, if you, you know, your brain is going to say, you know what, girl, like maybe this is not a good time to ovulate. You seem yeah. like pretty maxed out right now. And, yeah. to, you know, the progesterone, as you were saying, only happens when we ovulate. So if you don't ovulate, irrespective of whether, whether you want kids or not, you don't have that brain bathing, you know, your progesterone doesn't get to bathe your brain in and activate some of these neurotransmitters, these inhibitory neurotransmitters that are, have this calming effect, this anti, you know, anxiety um, effect, like, you know, progesterone is known to, you know, stimulate GABA, which is a really big one uh, for, you know, sleep and for feeling kind of calm and in your body and chill. And, and all of that. So that's I love important. That I love the visual of the bathing. I'm like, I'm going to start doing that. Like yeah. the week before my cycle, like, okay, brain bathe and progesterone. <laughs> bathe me. <laughs> <laughs> Wash love over it. me. Yeah. And the other, you know, the other thing we know, of course, is that that stress is going, that cortisol is going to, there's feedback loops, right? Like your period starts in your brain. So the FSH and the LH, which are two, we haven't talked about those yet, but uh, follicular stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, these are two two hormones that are involved in the development and the release of the egg. So you are also going to downregulate those because your brain's like, she can't handle right now. If she gets right. pregnant right now, this is not a good, this isn't like bad news bears for her. So we're going to make sure that this doesn't happen. Um, yep. And that can, when we think about this in the, in the perimenopausal context, that can be one of potentially, and I'd love your thoughts on this as a contributor to some of the erratic cycling that we see. So if you have these anovulatory cycles because you're maxed out and stressed, you know, you may skip a month and then, you know, the next month you're going to bleed for two weeks or, you know, yep. I've had women report that they've bled, like they've been bleeding for three weeks and it's one of the yeah. scariest things that they've, you know, experienced. Yeah. Yeah. You know, progesterone is one of those hormones that I didn't get, pay enough attention to. And then when she left me and she started <laughs> to decline, I was like, huh, she kind of worked really well for me. I need to try to maximize her if she's on a slow decline to, to not being there as much. Yeah. That's so, your chapter five, dear progesterone. I'm sorry. I took you for granted. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it really, I've, I like have, I actually have, um, I believe a lot in positive self-talk. And so I have come, that's why I love that bathing idea. I'm like, next time I take a shower when I'm trying to make progesterone, I'm going to visualize it like coming down on my head. Um, but the thing about progesterone is it does two key things that I think, uh, perimenopausal women may not be aware of. So the first is it calms us. So where I started to notice progesterone going awry is something as simple as as I was sitting on the beach watching the sunset as my kids were playing in the water and all I could feel was this incredible sense of dread. Like something's going to happen to us, that something's not right. I got to get up. And that content started to continue for weeks. And then I would start, my period would start and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'm just PMSing. But then to your point, once my period started, it was like hemorrhaging. And I used to have these moments where I was like, oh my God, I shouldn't leave the house. Um, I was practicing chiropractic at those time at that time. And I was like, oh my God, male chiropractors don't have to go through this. This is horrible. And I started to realize that that was all tied into progesterone. And once I started to honor progesterone, feed progesterone, understand progesterone, I actually got my, my cycle got so much smoother. My anxiety went away. And I think that's the point of menopause where women really start to go crazy and where they, it's really hard for their spouse. It's very hard for them to understand their behavior. Um, and it's really all boils down to this progesterone. Yeah. So let's move, let's move a little bit, uh, deeper into your book where you start talking about, um, the ketogenic diet and we can talk, and we're, we're going to talk about fasting as well today. Cause I know it's a really big love for you. And I, I, I just have to say, this is, this is body literacy, what we're talking about yeah. for women, right? So yeah. the more, you know, you're not, you know, one of your chapter titles I love is like, you're not losing your mind. You're just losing your hormones. You know? yep. So this is, if we can, if we can help women with the solutions that we're going to talk about now, the keto and the fasting and some of the other, uh, some of the other uh, verticals, then she's not surprised. Right. And she's not going to, she, exactly. when she goes to her doctor, she's going to be more informed. She's going to have it, be able to have a more robust conversation with her provider and maybe look for solutions beyond, you know, the pill or the, you know, yes. whatever the solutions are that she's been given or an antidepressant, as you mentioned. So let's talk about keto. Why now I'm a big fan of keto for women in perimenopause. Uh, we talked about this on your pod. I love the way that you explain this. So why do you think keto is a good strategy for women who are still cycling. So still are in their reproductive years. And then, um, let's talk about considerations for menopausal women as well. Yeah, I think, um, I think, and I I just want to say one thing to the first point is that if you are in your forties and you are really trying to understand your brain and how it's working and why it's not, it's edgy and why, um, you're not thinking the same way you thought in your younger years, that's when you go looking at your hormones. Like that, you stop yeah. looking, stop pointing outside of yourself and just go and look at how you can work your hormones. I really feel like that's the gift we need to give perimenopausal women. Yeah. So the, the second part about it, and this ties into keto, is that what happens to a lot of women when they go into their 40s is, you know, estrogen is doing this. It's going up and down. Some days you get a lot of it. Some days you don't get very much of it. And that up and down eventually leads to a complete decline of estrogen, which makes you more insulin resistant. So keto, and at that point, you start putting on more weight. Mm -hmm. 
and you think it's menopause, you think it's genetics, that contributes to your anxiety, irritability, and frustration. But all it is, is that you became more insulin resistant. And this insulin resistance can be dramatically helped with keto. Now, the style of keto that I recommend is what I call ketobiotic, where you're still making sure you're minding your, your microbiome and your greens, and we can talk about why that's so important. But once you take the breads, the pastas, the cookies, the crackers, like take them out. And when I say take them out, take them out 80% of the time. You know, if you, I'm not saying you have to be like, you know, a zealot for keto. I'm just saying those foods that used to be okay for you at 35 are not serving you at 45. So let's start to bring those foods down and then let's lean into nature's foods. Let's lean in. If you eat meat, which I encourage you to do, um, eat your meat and then eat like a salad and put some sauerkraut in your salad and put some seeds on your salad and really dive into, you can still have fruits, but have the lower sugared fruits, blueberries and the green apples and really start to nourish yourself while you're keeping insulin sensitive. If you do that, you're going to notice your weight will be where you want it to be. You're also going to notice your brain is going to think really well. I mean, you're going to have great mental clarity. You're also going to notice you don't crash at three in the afternoon. Now that will work from about day one till about day 19, 20 of your cycle. That in general is how our body wants us to, our hormones want us to feed it. It's when we start to make uh, progesterone that we need to make changes. But, the, but keto is really helpful as estrogen goes on its wild ride. And, and that to me has been the greatest diet for helping women keep her sanity and keep her weight where she wants it at the same time. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. Yeah. And I think too, um, I, I tend to be a bit more of a totalitarian than you. I like that you give the 80% <laughs> allowance. I'm like, nope, for the first 28 days, you got none of it. And then we can add it back in. Like I'll, I'll cycle them in afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Phase two, you can, you can start adding them in. Um, so talk a little bit about, um, talk a little bit about meta metabolic flexibility. This is a word that, um, is thrown around a lot. It can be a bit of a a nebulous term, you know, yeah. I've, I've spoken to Dr. Will Cole about this. Um, tell me a little bit about how you would define metabolic flexibility and how keto can help achieve that. Yeah. So this is such an important term. And I just wrapped my head around this about six months ago. 
that the problem with diets is all we've been doing is trying to manipulate one style of metabolism. And we call it the sugar burner system. And I I feel like we should call it something else because when people think about the sugar burner Mm -hmm. system, they tend to think of it like, oh, well, I eat when I eat sugar. But this system is basically anytime you elevate your blood sugar, you're now getting energy from the sugar burner system. But you have a whole nother system that you have not been potentially trained or taught, which is your fat burning system. And the the best way, I I think it's probably the only way, but I'm going to say it's the best way to tap into this system is either to fast or to exercise. And the goal is not to just, you know, when you hear fat burner, everybody's like, oh, well, yeah, I want that. I want to be a fat burner. But that's not the goal. The goal is to know how to make yourself or get yourself to go in and out of these two states. It's part of the day you're a sugar burner, you're a healthy sugar burner, and part of the day you're a fat burner. So when we look at a diet like keto, what keto diet is doing is it's training your body to be a very smart sugar burner. And in some cases, when you make ketones, you will, you know, it's that indication that you're flipping over. But this is where I think that, you know, people, a lot of people do the keto diet without fasting. And I feel like we should all be fasting and all different lengths of fasts because it really makes the fat burning energy system so much more efficient. And it makes the switching so much easier to be able to switch in and out of these two states becomes easier and easier. But diets fail because all we've done is try to manipulate the sugar burner system. So I I would tell you never go on another diet again. Go figure out how what metabolic switching feels like for you. And so we can do that with the ketogenic diet because we are we are now restricting essentially one category of macronutrient, which is carbohydrates. We're having little to no carbohydrates. You know the way that I like to structure it is you're still having you know like the carbs that you might get from vegetables because vegetables are a carb. So we get the greens and we get the, you know, the collard greens and the spinach and the kale and all those things. Um, but you're, as you said, we're cutting out the cookies, the chips, the crackers, the wine in the evening, all of these little snacky things through the day, like the, the residue off of your kids, chicken finger yeah. and fries, you know, <laughs> like you don't touch those, but yep. you're only having these nourishing foods that you know are going to help. Um, let's talk about, you mentioned the term ketobiotic. Um, and I want to talk Talk about the astrobolome, which is something that you talk about in uh, your book. So explain, uh, so ketobiotic, what does that mean and how can that support our microbiome? Again, uh, another very common symptom that I see, I know that you see this as well, is GI distress, right? And part of that's related to the cortisol, right? Because we know cortisol just like slowly wicks away that endothelial lining makes your, you know, the pears patches in the gut much more permeable. You get this, what, you know, people will call leaky gut or hyperpermeability of the gut. So food intolerances go up. We don't tolerate foods the way that we have these sort of mild, I don't want to call them allergic reactions because they're not like, you don't need Benadryl, but you, you feel puffy and bloated and, you know, kind of low energy after you consume them. So what, talk to us about the microbiome, a ketobiotic diet and uh, the astrobolome, and then we can pop into fasting. Yeah, no, it's one of my favorite topics because again, I went searching for my own answers in the middle of my forties, trying to put this whole puzzle together. And I think what happens is as we start to lose these hormones, we go, okay, well, I just need to get the hormones back. Just, you know, so we go bioidenticals, we 
we don't, we do creams, we maybe do HRT because we just want to bring those hormones back. But I think the, the missing conversation in hormones is it's not a function of just getting the hormones. You've got to metabolize those hormones. You've got to break those hormones down. And then once they're broken down, they got to be, your cells have to be very open to be able to accept those hormones in so they can actually have the action they're meant to have. So there are three parts to hormones. And that middle part of breaking hormones hormones down is due to, especially estrogen, a set of bacteria in the gut that will break estrogen down. Now, this is not good news for the 45-year-old woman who's been on 20 rounds of antibiotics, that has been on birth control for decades, that has been eating the standard American diet. She's now got a situation where she's not making enough estrogen, but she's also not even breaking down the estrogen she has. And so her estrogen's getting even lower. And so I like, the reason I like ketobiotic is it is a reminder that we need to start to feed these bacteria. So they're all, they're, the best way to do it is what I call the three Ps. You want to do polyphenol, prebiotic, and probiotic foods. And luckily, most of these foods fit into the keto diet. If you make a decision to not go like 10 net carbs, you, that's why I call it ketobiotic. I keep people's macros around 50 grams net carbs. I think 10 is too aggressive. It's I way think it's too, too much yeah. for women. I mean, maybe yeah. a guy can get away with that, but 10 net Thank is, you. is crazy. Yeah. 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 And maybe for a day or two, but long-term, you yeah. know, women are not meant to go without vegetables. And, and you're talking to somebody who actually likes the carnivore diet. I think there's some interesting aspects of it, but women aren't meant to do the carnivore diet forever. So I just, the, the point of talking about these bacteria is that we really need to nourish our gut, just like we have to mind our cortisol and our adrenals. We have to mind our gut now more than ever. And the greatest thing you can do is look at what you've done to your gut. Has there been, have there been antibiotics? Have you been eating out a lot? There's a lot of glyphosate in foods that are not organic foods. Um, you know, what kind of meats are you eating? Are you eating, if you eat meat, are you eating meats that are free of hormones and antibiotics? These kind of things really start to matter when you're going through menopause. Wonderful. And how does fasting, how does fasting, what makes fasting unique for a perimenopausal woman and a menopausal woman? Well, so this is why I love fasting is we can pontificate about all the great foods you can eat to change your microbiome. We can talk about all the great exercises you can do so that you can utilize insulin better or um, maybe bring inflammation down, biohacks that'll bring inflammation down. But what fasting does is it literally clicks every single box. So let's start with the fast, with the insulin box. There is no better way to bring insulin down and get it under control than fasting. And it can be as simple as a 13 to 15 hour intermittent fast. But then when we go to the microbiome box, we are seeing more and more evidence that the microbiome changes that happen with fasting are why fasting is working so well. And that's everything from the microbiome affects blood pressure. It will, when you fast, you bring the, you change the microbiome and bring blood pressure down. I saw a study recently that showed they took two people who made changes um, to their diet. They put them on or two groups of people. They put them on the DASH diet and they said, okay, one group, we're going to have them just go straight on the diet from standard American to DASH. 
And then the second group, we're going to have them do a five day fast before they go on that diet change and make that diet change. They gave them some soups and some liquids. They kept the calories like around 300, but it was pretty much a fasted state. What they found is the group that decided to go on the fast first got better results with their diet change than the group that just switched diets very quickly. So fasting is changing the microbiome. It's bringing insulin down. It's detoxing bacteria and viruses. It's, it's giving us GABA. It's making ketones. It's opening up dopamine pathways. It's in, you know, we're tapping into the fat burning energy system. I've never, ever seen a tool that can check so many boxes. And this is why I personally believe not only is it a tool for menopausal women, but I believe this is the way we are going to get out of chronic disease because we can't go after big pharma. We can't go after big food, but we can take personal responsibility and say, I'm going to change what's going on in my body. I'm going to ignite a healing power inside my body by learning to fast so that I can overcome the damage of being in this toxic world. And it's also diet agnostic. It doesn't care what diet yes. you're on. You could, you know, we've yes. been talking about keto. We love keto. But if you're like, meh, not for me, I'm a more paleo type person or AIP or maybe I'm, you know, whatever, vegetarian, you could still fast. Like yes, you, you fasting can. fits in every single type of way that we eat, yeah. um, which is great I love as that well. diet, diet agnostic. Diet agnostic. Yeah. It doesn't, we, doesn't subscribe to anything, any know, religious, you know, yeah. we, we have a, um, a Facebook group, uh, a free fasting Facebook group, and we've got about 50,000 people in there. And I, the, the number one fight we have in there, and it takes two full-time people to moderate that group wow. is the vegans and the carnivores. Yep. And I, we always come in and go, Hey guys, you can, you do you, and you just attach fasting to whatever you want to do. Yep. So if you love vegan, stay there. If it's working for you, if you want to try the carnivore diet, awesome. Do it. If you're FODMAP, great, but it's tagging fasting on to these diets that is going to give you a better result. Yeah. And I talk about fasting in, in terms of, I sort of, when I visualize that there's sort of like three different levers, right? So you can pull like the type a fast. You can pull the length of fast. You can pull the frequency of the fast. You talk about it in a, a similar way, um, mm -hmm. in a parallel way, you talk about seven types of fasting. So I think a lot of people, when they think of fasting, they just think of like, well, it's just water. Uh, but there are lots of different ways that we can fast. So can you walk us through briefly some of those, you know, some of your favorite types of fast in the, in those seven categories that you've outlined? Yeah. And they, and they always evolve. So as I watch, I mean, the, one of the things that's been really cool about our platform is watching so many people fast. You start to see where people do really well and where they get stuck. So the, the first one is intermittent fasting. I think everybody should learn how to intermittent fast. It's 13 to 15 hours without food. Um, and it starts to amplify growth hormone. And once growth hormone goes up, it starts to help with fat burning. It can help with, um, you know, slowing the aging process down. It's a powerful hormone that you don't get after 30. Um, I also think 13 to 15 hours starts to move you into that fat burning energy system and really gets you into that ketogenic uh, energy place and you get more ketones. 
But if you can continue on at 17 hours, you start to turn on a switch called autophagy. Now, this is like a dimmer switch. It's not like a light switch that you turn on. At 17 hours, it starts to amplify autophagy. And what autophagy is, is that the cells look around and they go, oh my gosh, there's no more food coming in. The blood sugar has been going down for several hours. We better become more efficient. And so it looks around and it's like, hey, you know, endoplasmic reticulum, you are not doing your job well. Let me clean you up. Mitochondria, you're a little dysfunctional. Let's get you going a little bit better. There's some bacteria and some viruses in here. Let's kill them and push them out of the cells. Sometimes at 17 hours, the intelligence looks around and says, this cell is going to go rogue. This cell is going to become a cancer cell. I'm going to kill it. And it'll do something called apoptosis where it'll kill the cell, which is amazing if it's a cancer cell. So all of that happens at 17. Now, if you continue and you don't eat at 24 hours, your intestinal um, gut cells will, the stem cells will reboot. This was a study done out of MIT that showed that you get intestinal cell stem cells that start surging in your gut at 24 hours. So anybody with any kind of leaky gut or candida or parasites, this is a great fast for you. Then the times kind of continue on at 36 hours. We see people start to really tap into more fat burning at 48. We start to see that you actually, I'm about to do a whole series on YouTube on the 48 hour fast and what it does to dopamine. It actually creates new dopamine receptor sites and it makes the old receptor sites for dopamine more sensitive. And all of that happens at 48. You also start to get more blood flow to your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that can make smart, logical decisions and kill, kicks you out of your fight or flight brain. And so I feel like at 48, that's where we see dramatic brain changes. And then at 72 is the white blood cell study that Walter Longo did, reboots the whole immune system. Now, beyond that, we've got dry fasting, we have fast mimicking, we have some other little things that people can do. There's all different styles, but those are kind of the big chunk of what I see um, that works for people. And it's a lot of it is time dependent. So let's talk, let's talk about how this applies to women specifically. So let's talk about cyclical fasting or, you know, when I say cyclical fasting, I mean, you know, pairing it up in accordance with a woman's menstrual cycle. Um, I like to change the way that a woman fasts through the cycle. What I often find is a woman will work her way up, you know, work her fasting tolerance up and she'll be like, Hey, I can do a 16, eight now, no problem. And then she just does that forever, uh, on repeat, right? right? She doesn't, she yeah. doesn't change it. She doesn't, there's no consideration for where she is in her cycle. There's no you know, and, you know, we were talking about this in the pre-chat about, you know, there's a recent podcast uh, episode uh, on Dr. Mark Hyman's podcast. Dave Asprey was there talking about fasting for women. And you and I were just like tagged left and right. Like, you know, what about, what does Dr. Stephanie think? What does Dr. Mindy think? What, you know, and, and, and talking about some of the, co you know, considerations for fasting for women. So can you, can you talk a little bit about how women can be fasting differently? Can we, you know, can we do like the big fast, like the guys can, should we not? What, what do you, what do you, what are your yeah. thoughts there? So, so let's go back to the metabolic switching moment. Remember, and this is how I see this happen so much, and this is actually for both men and women, and then we'll get into women, is that we're not meant, to, once you learn to fast, we're not meant to be one meal a day people all the time. It doesn't matter, men or women, but 
women especially, we are not meant to be one meal a day people. It, it, there are times during your cycle, and we'll talk about that in a moment, where that will be fine. And there's times during your cycle where that is not meant to be fine. Women, even more than men, are programmed for this metabolic switching. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and this was my kind of my beef that you and I talked about with the Mark Hyman podcast, is that we don't want to be left out of the conversation. I don't want to be told once I learn how to fast and I start dropping weight and my mental clarity goes up and I'm like feeling happier than ever. I don't want to be told, well, stop fasting. You should only fast a little bit. And that's what I feel like that conversation was. At least they were saying women need to do it different, but they were like, women need to not fast sometimes, and then they can go in and fast. Let's get more concrete than that. Let's give women better examples of that. When, if you have a cycle day one to about day 10, day 11, that's really the time you can do any fast you want. If you want to go on a three-day water fast, which I encourage you to try at some point, if that's your jam, do it at that point. It's phenomenal. As you move into to ovulation, into day 11, day 12, you know, everybody's ovulating at different times. Uh, your hormones are at their peak. I personally don't think, you know, a 13 to 15 hour fast is fine, but I wouldn't throw a three day water fast in there. I wouldn't throw a 48 hour fast. I would stick to something 15 hours ish around in there during that time period. Then when you come out of ovulation, if you look at a cycle chart, your hormones go crashing down again. You have a low point in your hormonal profile. So you can, if you want to throw a longer fast in there, awesome. Yeah, that would be a great time. There's about a five day period. But as this is the clincher, as we get closer to uh, progesterone building time, day 19, some women it's going to be day 18, we got to start to slowly step out of fasting. And it's, you can, this is where it's got to be personal to you. I can give you sort of general ideas, but you're going to have to experiment and see what works for you. But typically I think keeping it under 13 hours or, you know, doing a typical 10 hours might've been what you did before that would be fine. And then lean into more progesterone building fits. So I like women to look at it on a monthly cycle, not necessarily a weekly cycle. And what I found in that conversation, and even um, at a conversation with uh, Dr. Stephen Gundry came on my podcast yesterday, and he was saying that he likes to have people fast Monday through Friday and take the weekends off. I think that's great for a postmenopausal woman, but as long as you have a cycle, you need to be mapping your fast to your cycle. Yeah, or a man. That'd be great for a guy. Right. Forget for a guy or for a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And this is, this is the thing like, you know, and you know, we're not knocking these male practitioners, but they, they also can speak to their experience as men. And it's very likely that Dr. Gundry does exceptionally well on a Monday to Friday fast. And then maybe he takes the week off. But I know that if I did a three day fast the week before my period, I would be, I would be a mess. I would just be an absolute gong show. Yeah. And you know, (laughs) what you just described is almost identical to the protocols that I have uh, suggested as well. We want to really be thinking about that bleed week, you know, the week of your period. That's a great time to be more aggressive. As you mentioned, yeah. all of your hormones are low. Progesterone's nowhere to be found. That's a potent appetite, uh, appetite stimulator. And then we have that, you know, secondary cra- crash, as you said, uh, post-ovulation. 
And in that second week, again, estrogen and testosterone are high and you don't want to have that prolonged hormetic stressor to prevent ovulation. We were talking about stress and ovulation before, right? If your brain is like, this is too much, there's too much on her. There's no, there's not even food, you know, like she, right. you're not going to ovulate. Um, and you know, this, what I think, is, what I think is important around females and fasting is not only the practice, which you've been discussing, like the behavioral implementation, but the mental flexibility yes. to give yourself permission to do that. Because, yes. and I did this forever. I was like, I am strong. I have the willpower of a bull. Like yes. I can do it. I'd like, I see, you know, Mark Sisson doing it. I see all these people doing it. I'm going to do it like that, just like yeah. that. And, yeah. you know, you have to, you have to honor your biology. You have to, at some point you have to say, okay, like, I'm what worked for me, as you said, what worked for me at 25 or 35, I could have trained and I did train like a man all day long. Yep. But when you hit 40, man, it's like, you can't, it's like, it's that no party. It's like coming back it's to that no party, party where it's like, no more exercise like this. No more just fasting the same way all through the month. You yep. really do have to consider, um, that, and I don't want to, I don't want to stereotype and say delicate, but you're, because we're strong. Like there's, yes. there's, there's women are beautiful, you know, creatures of magic and wonder and intense intelligence. And, but our hormonal system is very sensitive. Even if you yes. just like, you were talking about mitophagy, even if you just look at from a physiological perspective, the density of mitochondria in the ovary, yes. like a hundred thousand mitochondria per oocyte. If you look at a hepatocyte, which is a liver cell, 2000, I mean, it, it makes Amazing. the ovaries make the liver look like a pedestrian, <laughs> like absolute, you know, Love beginner, it. you know? Yep. So yep. we, we do have to honor our ovaries. It's like our ovaries are always sensing, right? Without eyes, they're always sensing your environment. And so I love the, um, flexibility in thought and, and application. Yes. you were. I think something. a really good mind shift might be if you're struggling with the, no, you're struggling with the variation is your, your hormones are your superpower. This is what makes us so crazy capable. You don't want to mess that up. So, but it's, it has to be, it's a much more delicate, dance when you're going into perimenopause and beyond. Agreed. And what about a woman who is menopausal? So that's, you know, whenever I talk about like cyclic, you know, nutrition and fasting for perimenopause, the very next question is, okay, I'm in menopause. What does that mean for me? So how does yeah. a woman in menopause approach fasting? Can she, yeah. does she cycle still? What, what does she do? Yeah. So I, I look at menopause as three categories. I look at perimenopause, the transition of menopause and then postmenopause. So just so where people understand my lingo of where I'm at um, to me, perimenopause is where your hormones are already, they're going crazy. You're noticing changes, but you have a fairly regular cycle and that cycle may appear to be doing different things. So it might be longer than normal, might be a little bit shorter, but for the most part, it's pretty clear it's still common to you every 28, 35 days, whatever it is. I look at men, the menopause transition is where now we're missing a month. Maybe we're missing three months and everything's kind of crazy. And you're like, am I going into menopause? Am I not? Like I've missed it. And then when it comes, now it comes every couple of weeks. Like for me, that's where I look at menopause. And then postmenopause is I haven't had a I haven't had a period in over a year, maybe a decade. That middle menopause time 
is challenging to do what we're talking about because you really do not know when your period is coming and going. So this is what I recommend a, and I, I think all women over 40 should get a hormone test. I'm a, I'm a fan of the Dutch test. I think you should know where your hormones are at. So that will be helpful, but B let's get to know your hormone symptoms. So if like I started tracking on a clue app, my, my cycle at 45 for like the first time ever, I, and I was laughing because I'm like, I feel like I'm going to find all the the 25 year old women are trying to get pregnant are going to be like, you know, they're on the app trying to figure it out. And I'm trying to figure out how to time my fast to my cycle. So I, I track it on a clue app and then I look for symptoms. So if I if it's about day 20 and I'm like, I'm irritable, um, I'm spotting and like all of a sudden I spot. And then nothing happens for a week, which that happened a lot for me in my late forties. Then I'm like, okay. Uh, and, um, oh, I don't sleep well the week before my cycle. I think, and actually I've been tracking it on my whoop. I think a lot of women don't sleep well the week before their cycle. And so I go into full, I am going to build progesterone. And that's when I switch out of fasting and I go and switch out of keto and go more carb. And then once my cycle comes, I really then go, okay, now let's get insulin sensitive. And I more cardio, more fasting, more keto. And I start to go into it that way. So I use my symptoms to kind of guide me a little bit more. If you're postmenopausal, you can do this on a weekly basis. You can do it on a monthly, like it's really up to you. You have a lot more flexibility. But unlike a, a man who's 55 or 60, you've got to make sure that you throw in some of these, what I call hormone building days. Once a week, a couple of times a month, you need to step out of keto and you need to make yourself some progesterone and really make sure that you're not staying too keto, too much fasting and getting caught in that cycle. Yeah. And that comes back to stress. I think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, stress it's modern We're we all have stress and it's no stress will affect your ability to, from the adrenals now who have taken over from the retired ovaries, you need to help, you need to help them so that they can, they can produce these hormones, these hormones for you. Right. That's great. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, um, in the book, one of the last chapters is how you can stay young, you know, forever. And you talk about after, and you and I are very similar here where it's foundational basics first. Let's get the food, let's get the stress management, let's get the fasting rhythms dialed in. And then we can play with, you know, what may be referred to as, uh, you know, biohacking. I really have a disdain for this word, but because hack really, if you look at the word, it's like a shortcut, uh, which means you usually do a shoddy job. Like a hack used to be like, oh, he's such a hack, you know, like he can't really, you'd never want to hack for a surgeon. You'd never want to hack for a, (laughs) for a chiropractor. Like, you you know, you want someone who has mastery. Um, so this sort of shortcut, um, anyway, that's just my word nerd, uh, coming out, but yeah. So let's talk, let's talk about some of these, um, adjunct, uh, supplementary, um, therapies that you talk about and how those can complement and help a perimenopausal woman. Like you mentioned sleep. I think that's such a big one. Uh, so many women, it's just, and sometimes it's all of a sudden they just, they're like, I can't sleep anymore. It's just woke up one day and hot flashes and I can't sleep what's going on. So what are some of these, sorry, what are some of these therapies? 
Yeah. So the funny thing on sleep is when I realized I had like was missing progesterone was literally one night. It was like two in the morning and I could, I woke up and I'm like, what's that noise? What's that noise? And I go downstairs and my son, you know, he's a teenager at this point and he's like eating, chomping on cereal in the, in the kitchen. And I'm, I'm like, you're chewing too loud. What are you doing? <laughs> and he's looking at me like, who is this person? And all I could think was what's wrong with me? Why is, why why can I hear his chewing? But that's literally like that week before our cycle. And when progesterone is really needed, we, some, we just don't sleep well. So um, with biohacking, I just want to point out what you said, I think is really, really important to say. I am not a believer in the magic mushroom. I don't believe there is a one pill for anything, a one therapy, a one biohack. I believe there are many things that can be helpful, but we need to go with foundational lifestyle stuff first. And this is where we go awry when we go into menopause is we hear a friend who says, I took, I went on bioidenticals and I was healed, or I started drinking maca and all of a sudden all my problems went away. I'm not dissing these. Uh, these are great options, but you're still going to need to get your lifestyle in check. And that's really what I wrote about in the menopause reset was like, here are five things I encourage you to do. Now, once you have those in place, okay, now the maca is going to work great. Now, if you want to go on the bioidenticals, fine, just be very intentional about it. And this is where biohacking can come in. And um, I don't know, we'll have to rename it. I don't know another word for it, but it's like amplification strategies or something. Know, so, just something. Yeah, something. There you go. So, but here's the challenge or here's the cool part about these bio, these amplification strategies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on changing my language around it. Um, is that they accelerate healing. And so there's a couple of cool tools. My, my favorite is um, hyperbaric oxygen. If you have, um, or I shouldn't say it's my favorite, it's up there with one of my favorites. Um, what hyperbaric can do is bring cortisol down and it can help regulate your blood sugar. We also have great evidence that it changes the microbiome of the gut. It also increases pregnenolone, which is a precursor to progesterone. So I just tried a 10 day challenge where I did it every day for 10 days during that time period when I needed to make progesterone. And it was actually worked really well for calming me. That would be way better than, I mean, at the end of the day, I came, I, I did hyperbaric in my oxygen, uh, oxygen in my office and then went home as opposed to going home and opening up a bottle of wine to calm myself down. I actually did something a little more therapeutic. And so that would be an, a perfect example. Another great example and something I don't think is taught talked enough about is the power of chiropractic. We tend to think of chiropractic as a musculoskeletal tool. And yes, it can do amazing things for pain, but its greatest benefit is one adjustment based off of research will move your brain, get you get 30% more blood flow in your prefrontal cortex. Well, you can't be in the fight or flight brain, your amygdala and your prefrontal cortex at the same time. So if you're feeling anxious, if you know life has gotten too busy, if you know cortisol is really high, get to your chiropractor because one adjustment is going to shift how your brain is looking at your world. So I think that's amazing. 
Um, we could look at red light therapy. Red light therapy has a tremendous amount of research on it. You lose 30% of your collagen. Uh, the first five years you go into menopause. So this is why you start to wrinkle. This is why the mucosal membranes dry out. This is why you become more prone to injury. Well, I, you know, put that red light therapy on your face every day and red light therapy has great research showing that it will improve collagen production. Uh, we also know it has a parasympathetic set, uh, stimulator to it. So it relaxes you. I mean, the list goes on. We can go into PEMF we have in our office, which is electrical pulse that will actually start to power up your mitochondria so they become more efficient. Um, this is great. I've put this big pad of PEM, uh, the pulse machine over my ovaries the week before my cycle. Um, and just to try to get those mitochondria in there a little bit happier. So there's a lot of little cool tools we can use once we know about them. And that's really what I, what that chapter was for is like, here's a menu. If you decide you want to add on to your foundational lifestyle changes. Do you know what I want to try? And this is going to be probably start off with an N of one, just myself. And then I'm awesome. going to recruit more people. I, have you ever heard of some of the studies around red light therapy when you, or even just sunning uh, out, you know, naked uh, for men helping to improve testosterone levels? Yes. Like if they're getting red light therapy to their, to their uh, testes, then we see an increase in testosterone. I wonder if it's the same for women. Like I yeah. wonder if we can bring the red light therapy either up to the vulva or just over where the ovaries are. I wonder if we can have, if we can, I'm probably going to do this myself, like do a I, Dutch and then, you know, go through the whole, maybe a six or eight week protocol and then do another Dutch and see if it changes. I think that is legit. I mean, the study was done on water polo players and they were, they got out of the pool and they got in front of a red light therapy. They had their little speedos on and they noticed that after, you know, a 15, 20 minute session every day for 30 days, their testosterone went up. Yeah. Why would that not work for us? We would just need to have the red light, you know, on our, I don't even know if you'd have to like shine it up vaginally. I think you could just put it right over the ovaries. I mean, that's, although the testes are outside the man's body. Right. So, so I'm like, well, if you can get it close enough, it can penetrate, yeah. but then maybe it won't penetrate through the, like the abdominals. So I'm like, well, maybe it needs to be like right on the vulva or something. So. Well, it could be, but you yeah. know what else? Do you know about the V fit? No. What is that? Oh my God. Okay. This, this was told to me by Susan Branton. Do you know Susan Branton? I do know Susan. Yes. We've yes. been talking about having her on the, on the pod. We've just been you back should and, forth and get, yeah. get ready. Cause yeah. it'll be quite a discussion. Yeah. It's very um, spicy. She, yes. Yeah. <laughs> she told me about V fit. And when I heard about it, I was like, this is brilliant. So it basically is red light therapy for inside the vaginal area. Right. And it looks very much, I know when it's yes, this exists. So it looks very much like a vibrator and it goes inside the vaginal area. And there's two things. It, it, it does infrared and it does red light. Plus you, what she recommends is that you use do Kegels with it so that you can strengthen uh, the inner vaginal muscles, which is going to lead to better sex. But it also is doing the red light that you're talking about. So I think for your test, your N of one, you need a I got to get, I got to get that V fit because yes. I've come up with the idea. I just didn't have the tool, but someone's That's already, right. isn't it so funny? Sometimes you think you have this original idea, but the collective consciousness, you know, there's someone who thinks about it as well, maybe parallel or right before you or something. I always think that's really interesting. Yeah. You could try both, you know, yeah. if you really want to go off <laughs> in, you can put the V fit and then shine. Like and a, the little handheld. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me know. Yeah. I want to be 
the first one that knows how the I, test I wonder goes if I wonder if nature would publish that. I don't know if they would, <laughs> I don't know if they would get that. No post pictures. <laughs> no pictures. No pictures. <laughs> uh, oh, Doc, this has been such a great conversation. Um, I want you to tell my Bettys if they want to learn more about you, they want to do a deeper dive into fasting. I know you have your resetter uh, group. Tell everybody where they can find you. Tell them about your podcast. Tell them all the things. Yeah. Well, my passion project for fasting is my YouTube channel. So if you want to go learn everything about fasting, we just actually put out a, I put out a video today on a new study done on women and hormones and fasting. So you can go watch all of that over there. Um, if you want a group to fast with, we have a free group. It's called the resetter collaborative. It's in Facebook. Um, you can come on in there. If you need more help on fasting and building a fasting lifestyle, we have a membership group. It's called my Academy Reset Academy. You can go to my website and find it. If you want to, you know, know more about menopause, you can buy the book. I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. Um, I'm just trying to inspire women to get better tools and not to sit with the uh, take an antidepressant and everything will be better diagnosis. Yes. Well, I think that you've really helped uh, my community. I know we have a lot of overlap in terms of awesome. uh, the women that follow us. And I know that you've just provided an incredible amount of value and you can really, you really hear your passion. And when you talk oh, about these you. things, so it's really, uh, really enlightening and invigorating for me to speak to someone who's so, uh, so charged up. So yeah. thank you very much. Yeah. You know, I think again, this comes back to that, this chiropractic philosophy, the thing I am a hundred percent that what I know to every core of my cell is that the body heals itself. And we are living in a world that does not teach that. And with women, especially when we hit menopause, we start to spiral and we are given no answers. And this is where we have to take our power back. So uh, thank you for having me on. I, I just want this message to get out. And, and when we have a tool like fasting, that's free and it doesn't take time, uh, you've, I mean, there's no reason we can't change the world with something as simple as teaching people how to fast. So I'm um, thank you for having me and thank you for, you know, having this conversation. I uh, like you, I just can't shut up about it. And I want to make sure women know about it specifically. Amazing. All right, Bettys, and in leaving you with this interview today, I always like to leave a little love drop and little Easter eggs for you in this outro. And this is a review that came in from Karima S83 from France. And she writes, the title is Merci. And she writes, I'm amazed by the content of your podcast, Dr. Stephanie. The information and knowledge you share with your Bettys are so valuable. I learn so much from you and I am listening to several and many podcasts and you are by far my favorite. Your work is certainly meticulous and you make it accessible for all of us. I've just purchased your book. Yay. And I can't wait to read it. I'm also considering registering for one of your online programs. P.S. I am listening to your podcast from France. J'adore. Merci encore. Alors, Karima, je vous remercie aussi. Thank you so much for leaving this review. Of course, I'm so honored that um, my uh, the country that I feel so connected to, France, uh, the other one being uh, Italy and of course the beautiful languages that are spoken there. I love that you're listening to the podcast. So thank you so much. And if you are also finding this podcast to be useful for you in any way, I would love for you to leave a review on Apple. Uh, you can also leave a five-star rating. You can also leave uh, ratings on Spotify if that's where you're listening to it from. And this helps other Bettys 
around the world to find us so that we can increase our Betty army and just make our beautiful women harder to kill. <laughs> That's really the point, right? I want to make my ladies harder to kill, more, ro- more resilient, more empowered, and more in love with their bodies. So thank you so much for that review. I truly appreciate it. And I will leave you until we get to geeky magic later this week. So have a great couple days. We'll see you soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. 